If you've listened to the last few episodes, you'll probably have rumbled the fact that the key concept in all of this is how something can, as a whole, not look as though it's changing, despite the fact that while it's not changing to an external observer, it is changing internally. The slightly frivolous way that I put this was to suggest that if I'm the Vogons on their constructor fleet looking at the Earth, I may be either indifferent or blind to the fact that there are species living their lives merrily away on it. I'm just concerned about this insignificant speck of dust that's blocking the way to my hypergalactic freeway. But the point is much more serious than this. Because if we take the view of the universe as a whole, the very fact that we're taking the universe as a whole suggests that there isn't anything coming into it and there isn't anything going out of it. So as a whole, the universe is essentially static. It can't change because there isn't anything changing it from outside. We'll leave any questions of a divine being out of this conversation for this purpose. Nevertheless, you will be saying we know that the universe does change. It changes from, at least in the most recent theory, some sort of origin like a Big Bang, and it expands, and it may eventually stop expanding, and it may collapse back to some kind of singularity, some cosmic blip, some spark that will perhaps then oscillate and explode again. Who knows? These are all living controversies in cosmology. But if we think about a system that is isolated, in practice it's almost impossible to do that. And one of the results of decoherence theory is that the isolation of a macroscopic system from its environment is, to all intents and purposes, impossible. But let's just do a thought experiment. Suppose we could isolate a system so that nothing went in and nothing went out, nothing changed. Does that automatically mean that nothing can be going on inside? It occurred to me overnight that a possible way of explaining this is in terms of a mixing bowl with a ball bearing. This doesn't quite work because there is, of course, an external force in the shape of gravity. But bearing that in mind, or ball bearing that in mind even, let that lie. If you put the ball bearing up on the side of the bowl and let it go, it will roll down it will go across, it will go up the other side. As it rolls down, it will get faster. It starts, we assume, from zero. It gets faster, and then as it rolls up the other side, it will get slower, and then it will roll back again. And we know, because there is no closed system, that it will eventually settle at the bottom as it runs out of energy. But before it runs out of energy, it is transferring the energy of height, what we call potential energy in Newtonian mechanics, into the energy of movement, what we call kinetic energy in Newtonian mechanics, so that it has maximum potential energy when we release it from the 
the lip of the bowl as high as it will go. And it has maximum kinetic energy when it's going as fast as it can at the bottom. And in theory, if it were a truly isolated system, the sum of those two things would be the same, would be constant. It wouldn't be zero, it would be constant. What in practice happens is that because the ball rolls and makes a noise on the surface of the bowl, the, the bearing rather, makes a noise, the noise of course requires energy and the energy is dissipated because it wouldn't otherwise reach our ears and all sorts of other things like friction and a certain amount of slippage and other things gradually mean that the system runs out of energy and the ball bearing ends up at the bottom. But until that, until that point, the total energy is more or less constant, even though it's leaking a bit. And the transfer between it being potential and kinetic energy, between it being high up and stationary and low down in the bowl and moving, does suggest that there is a transfer from one kind to the other and back, which means that something is happening even though, as a whole, nothing is happening. The energy isn't, as a whole, changing if we allow the thought experiment where it's actually a closed system that doesn't lose energy through making noise and friction and heat and all the other bits and pieces. Now that may or may not provide some sort of analogy for the kind of separation that we're talking about. That if instead of potential and kinetic energy we talk about our intellectual mental states and the way we distinguish ourselves from other things in our mental existence, somebody from outside might not see that separation either as significant or even as visible. Visible is, of course, a metaphor, detectable, that would be a better expression. But for the purposes of those who are involved, the separation is significant. And the risk of being unduly depressing, I think that our theory of the universe is that the only significant meaning arises from this kind of separation. As far as the universe is concerned as a whole, or indeed from the perspective of the Vogons who don't give much for human existence, as we don't for those, to those existences of the ants that we routinely demolish and remove from our path because that doesn't seem significant from outside it follows that we have to make significance we have to make our meaning from inside we have to decide on the kind of separation that we're going to do the kind of transfer to use my metaphor between potential and kinetic energy which although the total cannot be changed. The distribution can. To use perhaps a, a different, well it is a different analogy, if you imagine a, a balance, you could have a seesaw with a balance and you could put a, a, a lot of mass right at the centre of the seesaw and the seesaw would stay horizontal. Or you could separate the mass evenly to, to opposite ends of the seesaw and the seesaw would still remain horizontal even though you've separated 
the two masses. Provided they're equal, the seesaw won't move. And you may well say, or you may well be thinking, yeah, but there is still a change. So how would we measure the change from a single mass that didn't move the seesaw to two masses that still don't move the seesaw, but which are separated? Those two systems are not the same. How can we distinguish them? And that's a very good question, and it's one to which we will certainly return. But the point that I'm trying to make here, and I have no other ambition in this particular episode, is to suggest that the fact that something as a whole doesn't alter does not mean that it doesn't have the capacity to change internally from the relative perspectives of the participants, whether they be Vogons, humans, bats, dogs, cats, ants, amoebae or viruses. Thank you for listening.